Welcome again to Understanding Wise podcast series. My name is Charlie Caruso, and today I am very pleased to be joined by co-author Chris Piper. Chris, big thanks for having a chat with me today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for uh, spending the time with me too. And um, it's kind of weird considering we've been sort of emailing uh, together for six months, roughly, and we've actually never had the time to to chat. So it's, yeah, it's it's fun to finally get the chance to meet my uh, co-authors. I know, I feel like I already know you, but this is the first time we've actually talked, so yeah, definitely yeah, a pleasure. I, I agree. And I sort of thought before we started getting chatting, um, did you want to do a little bit of an intro about who you are and your background so that everyone listening can get to know you a little bit, I guess? So my name's Chris Piper. Um, I live in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, pretty hot up here. I am the founder and CEO of CP Marketing. We're a, a very small digital marketing agency that focuses on helping out small businesses throughout the U.S. and technology startups. I'm also the co-founder of another startup called ZoomStand, which we've been in development for about 18 months now, making the first uh, mobile standing desk and laptop stand. So it's basically a stand that you can take with you, but you can use it sitting down, you can use it standing up, you can use it on top of your desk with your laptop or tablet or whatever mobile device you have. Um, And that's hoping to uh, go into production and ship uh, later this year. Um, and that's pretty much it. Well, that's very exciting because the, the startup space, uh, is white hot now, whether it's, um, you know, in the U S or here in Australia. Um, and obviously that's got a lot to do with your chapter, which is exciting. And I don't know whether I ever told you this because when I, when I first got your, your chapter and I read it, I was like an excited little kid at Christmas. I was jumping up and down because there was something about, the way that you wrote that it sounded like you were talking to me and I hadn't even hear, you know, have heard you talk before. And there's just some way that there's some, I don't know whether it was the, the terminology you were using or the general premise. It was uh, very exciting for me to, to read and still is one of my favorite chapters of yours, which is, you know, about the startups and Gen Y and entrepreneurism um, and, and how that sort of, seem to be relevant to Gen Y, but do you think it's a Gen Y specific thing or do you think that it's just a person thing and we just happen to be around in a time it's booming? You know, as much as I would love to pound on my chest uh, and say it's a Gen Y thing because I'm a Gen Yer, um, you know, I really don't think it is. You know, I think there's been plenty of entrepreneurs and other generations, um, you know, obviously our world wouldn't be where it is today without them. Um, we just we just have it a lot easier, and it's a lot easier for us to share the information. So we can connect with other entrepreneurs. Um, obviously, the internet and our global economy plays a huge, huge role in that. Um, but you know, there is a slight part of it where I think it is a Gen Y thing, where we saw our parents and the generations before us work nine to fives and not necessarily fulfill their life dreams, and so we want to do something a little different. Yeah, I, I agree um, wholeheartedly with your sentiments. I think, you know, I think a lot of being successful in a startup used to be about who you knew. Um, and whereas now we have LinkedIn and, you know, yeah. I wouldn't have done the book without it. I wouldn't know half the people that I know in business um, without it. 
And, you know, the fact that we can just Google for response or to see, you know, other what other people are doing in this space is I think fundamentally it is. It's a lot easier for us, I think. that. Um, but I agree. We've got, you know, Henry Ford, right? If we want to talk entrepreneurs and people that are disruptive, you know, bringing disruptive business models to the, to the game. And I think, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily Gen Y, but at the same point, and you, and you raise it, and it's a very good and valid point, that we, the idea of, you know, working, going to university and then, you know, starting from the beginning, dragging your feet, nine to five job, um, you know, just to, and then going to the pub and complaining who has it the worst. I think that that's just, <laughs> you know, it's not appealing for Gen Y. We sort of, you know, I had the chat with Jane Anderson, the other, another co-author in the last podcast about, is it because we are aware of potential and that we can have it better and I think the internet in that way has probably given us that awareness and um, you know we're we're more aware of what's out there I think and so I suppose that means that we're less willing to settle for yeah the average and and you know and I think also feel it's a bit more I think and, and you might disagree with me but I think Gen Y we're brought up differently um and we were brought to suppose aspiration to make a change in the world and that I for one have seen you know the damage of the environment um and corruption and what happens when you know people are just always focusing on the bottom line and not anything else and certainly for me it's not about making money it's about doing something I love and making a difference what do you think do you think that's part of the, the difference in gen y versus other gens yeah, absolutely. I have to agree with that. Um, I think I did touch a little bit on that in my chapter in the book where I said, you know, we'll be happy, you know, as long as we're doing something that we, we love and we're making a difference day to day. You know, we don't have to be changing the world and uh, saving the environment or what have you. But, you know, in, in our little bubble or, you know, our piece of the, the woods, you know, as long as we're doing something that at the end of the day, we can say, I made this change. I made this impact. You know, I felt good doing it. You know, that's, I think, truly at the core. That's what every entrepreneur wants. That's what every Gen Wire wants. And, you know, really, I think that's what every person wants. You know, that's why so many people are unhappy with their jobs because they're mundane tasks. They ended up in an industry they didn't necessarily want to be in or care about. Or, you know, their boss might just be an asshole, um, you know, and they just they want that change. Um, so. <laughs> So, so that's the biggest difference between, I think, entrepreneurs uh, now and then versus, you know, last generation, where we're just a lot less willing to accept the status quo and the mediocrity of a regular job or even working for like a job we like, but we know that's not where we want to be in 20 years. We're just going to go ahead and, and do that on our own and, and forget yeah. about all the rules. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, if you had to choose between a really high paying job, like we're talking big, big bucks that you hate or a job that just scrapes you by that you love, what would you choose? Oh, no doubt, no doubt about it. You know, I would choose a job that I love. You know, yeah. if, my, if my basic needs are met at the end of the day uh, and I'm doing something I'm absolutely passionate about, that's worth it for me. Um, there's no way you could put me in a job that pays six figures or seven figures even that I absolutely hated going to because every single day I'm not going to want to even go through that day. Yeah. 
Um, so, and that's just not a life worth living, in my opinion. You know, that that, that amount of money is not going to make you happier in any other area of your life. You know, you have to have that meaning. Listen, I, I totally agree. And I sort of feel that that change is what separates Gemini and everyone else because I sort of feel like up until recently it was accepted by society or at least the emphasis was on making the money and the prestige that came with, you know, having the most expensive car or living in the best suburbs and having that really, really, you know, lavish lifestyle in society that was deemed, I believe, until very recently, the thing that you should do and, and what you should strive in and happiness. I mean, seriously, what, what did it matter about happiness? That that would make you happy. And I think Gen Y have grown up seeing that and sort of thought, well, no, because life's short and, you know, money isn't everything and money certainly won't make you happy. And maybe maybe that's what separates us is just we just we don't need to be billionaires we're kind of just happy so long as you know we're doing what we love yeah absolutely and that's you know it's funny you bring that up because you know i actually was brought up and taught to like go to college get out of college uh maybe go to grad school become uh uh you know the banker the doctor the lawyer you know go down that path yeah. and for whatever reason when i was i know like maybe 12, 13 years old, I realized that the most successful pe people that I knew were all business owners. Mm -hmm. You know, the guy, the guy down the street had the biggest house, but he was also the nicest, most caring guy I knew. And that's who I wanted to be like. So by the time I was 15, you know, I was convinced, you know, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I didn't even know what that word meant, but I knew <laughs> I was going to do it. Uh, I was going to have some sort of business and, you know, that's all there was. Yeah. Um, so between like 15 and, you know, 28 now, you know, it's just always been fighting against that, you know, where I just didn't want to go down the, the, the path that everyone else followed. Um, and I just think that's just so much more visible now for our generation and for the world in general, um, that it's easier for us to make money doing it too. Um, just because of all the resources we have, all the other entrepreneurs that are always, always willing to live uh, or to give a helping hand. Um, you know, you won't find that anywhere else. No, you won't. It's it's interesting your story because it's actually the it's in such a contrast to mine. Um, yet we've ended up kind of on very similar tracks. I am. Um, I don't know that I was brought up being told that I should be a doctor or whatever, but there probably was some element of that that I maybe didn't consciously pick up. But my sort of goal at school was to be um, a brain surgeon. Um, and my sister was to be a dentist and she is a dentist. Um, I just did, I just went off track and for, there was a few reasons why I didn't do it. And, and it was basically a medical condition at the last year that was undiagnosed at the time. And, and then I sort of lost my identity in terms of, well, I meant to do this whole medicine thing and that's not quite worked out. And, you know, I, my identity was that I was smart. So what the hell? am I doing? And I, you know, started uni doing mass communications, which is PR and journalism. And I did that for about six months and realized I don't want to be told by any editor what's news or what's not news and um, not willing to sell my soul, uh, you know, writing about stuff that I don't think is, is worth it. And so I was like rejected that and had no idea and no real desire to do business. I was like, it's what my mum did. She had her own small business and, 
Yeah, that seemed just, you know, that's what my mum did, so it's not cool, right? She 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 had an IT business, so that's boring. Like, why would I do that? <laughs> and But inevitably fell into it by just, you know, working and then found that I had a real passion for business and loved it. And I don't think I ever consciously made any decisions that I wanted to own businesses, but I knew that I didn't want to work for anyone else. And I think... You know, everything that's happened after that has just been, I don't know, I'm not, I don't really have any sort of set religions, but I'd say destiny or serendipity or whatever is that phenomenon that people describe is as close as it is that I can sort of describe as what's happened to me. Because I found, I I still don't even know what I am. I don't have a job title. I I just like to talk and I like to write. And I think that that's what I'm going to change my (laughs) LinkedIn thing to. (laughs) <laughs> because, you know, and I think that is what's with Gemma is we don't have to or feel the need to have to define ourselves by our jobs. Instead, our jobs are a def- definition or an extension of us. And I think that now society is recognising that. It's almost in vogue, I sort of feel like now. Um, yeah, but, I mean, how did your family react? Did you have any... One sort of giving you, oh, well, you know, get a real job. Um, What's this entrepreneurial business? Or were you always surrounded by people that were, you know, massively supportive? Um, Well, you know, I I always had everyone's support. But, you know, they were always, uh, you know, well, maybe you should consider this (laughs) other option or, you know, something like that. But, no, I've always been surrounded by people that supported whatever crazy idea I had or whatever I was attempting. And um, honestly, if they weren't supportive, then most of the time they would no longer be around me. Sure. Um, you know, um, so, I mean, there was a time some people try to talk some sense in me and, you know, I certainly took their advice for granted and then didn't listen to it. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, I never really intended to open a digital marketing agency and ZoomStand kind of just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they just fall into things. Yeah. You know, they, you know, you look at the, the, the billionaires of, of today, like Mark Cuban is a perfect example. He opened a bar in college and then retired a few years after that, uh, he got like a check for six million bucks, retired, and then came out of retirement and then decided to start broadcast.com and became a billionaire. Wow. Uh, you know, he, he was the, like the luckiest guy in the world. You know, he's obviously very smart, but, you know, he got very, very lucky and he just kind of just fell into it. Yeah. Um, you know, don't want to discount the fact that he worked hard and knew what he was doing, but when, I mean, it really just happened for him. And it had, I think that happens for a lot of entrepreneurs. So, I mean, there's a lot of ultra successful entrepreneurs and there's a lot of them still grinding out there. Um, and I, I think, you know, I'm personally kind of caught up in the, you know, I'm doing pretty well, but I mean, I'm still grinding day to day. Definitely, you know, I, I become complacent and you know, always trying to strive for something else and something more and, you know, starting another business when I already have two. And, it's, you know, it's just. <laughs> oh, it, gosh, it's, you sound so much like me. It's uh, scary. Yeah, it's, it's just never enough, you know, and that's yeah. that, that's kind of what worries me about uh, myself and entrepreneurs. It's like, you know, are we going to work ourselves to the bone? Are we going to be burnt out by the time we're 30? You know, what, what's what's going to happen? You know, because we're we're always tied to the computer, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it, you know, we always have our smartphones. We can work anytime, 
anywhere and you know our, we it's kind of expected of us you know what do you mean you didn't reply to my, my email right away <laughs> uh, so it's yeah. you know I'm really curious to see what the next five or ten years are like for for people like us and for our generation in general well it's an interesting one right so I like to think because I've got kids and I had kids like a lot younger than most people my age and that has given me uh, sometimes perspective so right now um, just a few minutes before we're, we're chatting, I'm playing Lego with my daughter. And and so I'm forced, but sometimes, you know, sometimes I think, oh, my God, I have to get this done. This is important. I need to get back to this email. But then they bring me back down to reality and show me that, you know what, sometimes playing Lego for an hour is not a big deal. And and I think that for, for me that that's the comfort in bringing me back down to reality. Otherwise, I would be doing what I was doing before I had kids, which is working like crazy 70 80 hour weeks and um, I don't know if it's 80 hour weeks, but I was doing definitely 70 and, you know, and, and I'm doing four businesses now and studying still. So I definitely load myself up and I then look at people like Bill Gates and Richard Branson. They don't stop. There is no stopping, um, it seems. But what is interesting is in 10 years or so, the baby boomers are retiring and they're going and a, a big percentage of them have not got enough money to retire so there is this discussion that's that's growing and it's a very serious one is the idea of a potential civil war worldwide between the resentful uh, our generation so y z and x probably who have to work almost doubly as hard because we're supporting such an enormous population who aren't able to contribute to the economy and, you know, the idea is, well, maybe it would be nice for our, our generation to, you know, retire in our 40s, you know, if we are successful. But there is a chance that we're not going to be able to because of that new reality that's going to happen. So it's, I agree. I think there is a burnout issue we've got potentially coming in the next few years. But at the same point, our parents are retiring fairly soon. And the lucky ones have saved. Um, the unlucky ones should have saved and did and it's been taken from them for various reasons and then there's just everyone else that just hasn't had that ability to do that and you know it's yeah I think that you you might disagree but I actually feel like our generation gen y will be defined by our reaction and solutions to that very problem I think we'll watch it very closely you're right um and we'll learn from whatever happens mm. um you know, I, I I don't know what the situation is across the globe or in Australia, but I know in the U.S. there's a lot of people, in like you like you like you said, like in danger of not retiring or they're just going to stop working and they're not going to have enough money. You know, they're going to out they're going to outlive everything. Um, so you know, my dad my dad retires in the next couple of years here, um, which is one of the hardest things I realize is just watching your your parents just grow older, but. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, luckily he, he, he was smart and worked really hard his whole life and saved and, you know, the, the pension from, from his first job, you know, helps and that kind of thing. But there's, there's plenty of other people that I know where, you know, they're, they're not sure if they can retire. They don't know, you know, they just, they're, they're at the retirement age, but they just don't know if they can do it, which really concerns me about like just financial education yep. and the U in U S and probably worldwide. Just, you know, we're not teaching it in schools. Yeah. You know, we, we, we really teach 
uh, our, our children, and I have a six-year-old daughter, so this is concerning for me, probably as much as you, that, you know, we're teaching them to basically still become really good employees, but, you know, not become, you know, self-independent, not to yes. think for themselves, yep. not to be entrepreneurial. You have to completely learn all of that on your own, but that's the yep. most important thing you could possibly learn. Oh, I... Uh, I, I so agree with that. I get really fa- frustrated that we're not teaching children at young ages, six, you know, and I have a six-year-old too, um, how to budget. Um, the basic fiscal and monetary policies, you know, it can be taught at a very basic level early on, but, you know, they then become voters at, at some stage and I sort of get frustrated when people don't know I mean, in Australia, certainly we're forced to vote. It's illegal not to vote. Um, but that also encourages a lot of people that actually have no idea what policies are about or why they're voting because they have no idea what the ramifications are for today, for tomorrow, and for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years in, in future. And, you know, without that basic understanding of, you know, the market economy and how it works and also, you know, just skills on how to position yourselves and, you know, understanding what interest rates are and what they do and, and, you know, those basic things that should be taught, I feel we are absolutely categorically failing um, at at teaching. And But what's interesting, and it was something, it was one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, was the idea of teaching entrepreneurism. I happen to believe that you, it can't be taught. What do you think? Oh, man, you know, are you going to sit into a classroom and learn it? Probably not. No, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, you could teach, you know, about business. Yeah. You could teach about accounting. You could teach how to make a business plan and how yep. to validate it. But you're never, never going to learn how to be a real entrepreneur. You're going to learn all the stuff it takes to be one, but uh-huh. you can't actually become one from a textbook. Um, there's no way it's going to happen. I mean, I learned everything I know about entrepreneurship and mostly business uh, through through books and self-study, online courses, and building my network with people that I wanted to be like and just absorbing everything I could from them mm-hmm. uh, to the point where I became annoying to them, I think. So I'm sorry to those guys, and I'm sure they know who they are. But... Um, it, that's really all you're, you're going to weigh is, is just by doing it. I, we have a term, I'm sure you've heard of it, it's just entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, they, they have the business cards. They say they have a product or a company or a startup, but, you know, they really have nothing. And they, they are really trying, but they just don't really know what to do. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the biggest difference between somebody who goes out there and really learns about the industry they want to and finds the, the people that can help them versus the people that just read about it all day or, um, you know, read articles online or take courses about entrepreneurship. You know, it's a very fine line, but jumping that line and getting to, you know, actually taking action and starting a business, you know, that's when you really learn. And that's obviously when you really start making progress and making money. Listen, I, you are, have shared the exact same sentiments as, as me. I actually feel like people are born entrepreneurial and they ha- and because it's actually a gut instinct more than anything. And that doesn't mean entrepreneurs aren't always successful. They're not always successful because there is an element of luck, uh, I think, involved. Um, sometimes new technology comes and wipes out the new thing that you've been working on for the last five years and there was just no way that you could have preempted that. 
Um, you know, I think certainly in this fast, you know, paced environment and, and the rapid development of technology as it stands now, you know, the, the, I, I don't know if you remember, you probably will, you're only, you're roughly the same age as me. Um, <laughs> after CDs, they thought the mini CDs was going to be the next big thing. <laughs> I and remember can you those. remember? <laughs> and yeah. then it was completely wiped out by, you know, obviously digital and USB and, but you know, you could have been one of those early investors thinking I've got the new back next best thing and then can be completely sideswiped by something that just came out of nowhere. And so I do think luck is part of it. Um, I also sort of feel like it's the ability to take on calculated risks without a safety net. And I think that that is something that you're born with. And I think that, you know, for me, um, an entrepreneur is someone that never fails because their failures to what would other people classify as a failure is just a learning curve. And, you know, I, I certainly have learned most of, you know, I've gone obviously gone to uni and learned business, but I learned just as much of 10 years study at business as I did working alongside an executive and getting a better understanding, as you said, working with the people you want to be like, because you get a better inside of what it takes, uh, what, what they do, what are the tacit knowledge that they have? Because that, again, it's not something you can learn in a textbook. Um, but also through making mistakes and, and putting yourself out there enough to, yeah, fall down once or twice and know that, you know, cause I think back at some of the things that I did early on rookie mistakes and they're kind of funny, but you know, without making those mistakes, I, I wouldn't have that knowledge that I have now. And, um, Yet the difference between an entrepreneur and or a entrepreneur, which is a great term, or anyone else, um, is that being an entrepreneur, that risk is seen as scary, not necessary, and they don't always get back up. And I think that's the difference for me, anyway. Um, but I don't believe you can teach it. I think that that is it's a gut instinct, just like someone singing. Like people that are the best singers in the world have a natural talent for it. Um, right. Those who have a horrible voice and are just trained and trained and trained and trained, they're never going to be that amazing singer that just blows you away. They'd be okay, but they're never going to be revolutionary or they're never going to be, you know, unless they're digitalized and popped, which, you know, happens, right? But, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of feel like it's just, it's just not, it, it's just comes naturally to some and, and less so to others. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the way I see it is, you know, kind of the same thing where, you know, everyone with an iPhone thinks they're a professional photographer nowadays because, you know, so it's really easy for people to call themselves an entrepreneur because they, you know, think they have a product idea or they, you know, started a business or just filed for an LLC. So, you know, it, it, it and I think you hit the, the nail on the head when you said like taking calculated risks without a safety net. Um, because a lot of people think that entrepreneurs are like these wild west cowboys that are just, you know, taking all these crazy risks, spending tons of money, you know, have basically no concern about, you know, anything other than just a business idea. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, certainly there's, you know, some people like that out there, but, 
you know, the most successful entrepreneurs, you know, they protect their downside. They, all their risks are absolutely calculated. They validate all their ideas. So by the time they're ready to take that leap or launch that next project or, or business, you know, they already know exactly who, who's going to buy their product. They have their list already. You know, they know the industry, they know the competition. It's so well planned out and strategized that there's almost no risk at all. And it takes a lot of work to get to that point. Um, and you have to have a certain type of intuition to also get there. But, you know, it's it's nothing you can't pick up and learn, but it, it takes a long time to get to that point, certainly. Yeah, it does. And I think it, you find most uh, successful, well, not all, some of them would literally just wing it and just make it every, everything they touch turns to gold. But you know, a lot of them, um, the the really well successful entrepreneurs all have stories of failure. I mean, Branson's a great one. Um, Virgin Cola was a complete mess, and you know, but the lesson they learned was that they they deviated too much from their core, um, you know, competitive advantage, which is service. You can't. You know, there's no service element to cola. And, you know, that was what differentiated them in the marketplace in every other industry. And they kind of lost focus of that, thought it would be an easy no-brainer. And, you know, someone like Branson with all the money and, and so much business acumen and, you know, it, they make mistakes too. And I think every really um, good entrepreneur has a pretty good story to tell and of, of whether or not it was it's a lesson that they learned or someone close to them in their network learned and, and that's how they shared that sort of that knowledge. But I think I, I, I agree. I actually, LinkedIn I love and sometimes I do refer to myself as an entrepreneur simply because it's too hard to write all the other things that I do like consultant, writer, producer, you know, because it just, it's ridiculous. So sometimes that's the easiest word for me to use, but I i kind of feel like it's the, the most overused and it's in some ways it can devalue um, the title if every man and his dog is, is sort of using it because I kind of feel like you, it, it's, you have to earn your stripes to call yourself, really to call yourself an entrepreneur. And you have to be successful in multiple different businesses, I feel, to really use that title well. Um Yet I've not found another replacement. Starter Uppera doesn't have quite the same <laughs> ring to it. Um, and it is, I think it's increasingly hard when, you, when you're when you doing lots of different things like you are. What else do you say that you do? I mean, do you use the word entrepreneur or, did you, or do you use something else? Oh, man. You know, I usually just sigh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. I, I honestly, yeah, no, I feel your pain. I... I just say I do marketing now, honestly, it's the easiest, Yeah. Um, you know, you know, come July, you know, I have to add an author to it too, or co-author. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I'll just pick one. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really say entrepreneur, um, you know, it, I guess it really just depends who I'm talking to. Yeah. You know, if, if I can try to say something where it's compelling to them and it'll start up a conversation, yeah. honestly, that's usually what I'll pick. And then, yeah. you know, later on the conversation, I might be like, oh yeah, by the way, I do these few other things too. Yeah. Um, and it typically they're like, their eyes start rolling because they don't believe me, but you know, <laughs> you know, they add me on LinkedIn the next day and then you know, it's all validated. But, um, you know, that, that's, that's interesting. You know, I don't know if entrepreneur is going to be kind of a word that becomes extinct because it's overused kind of like, you know, social media guru or oh, yeah. SEO expert or, yeah. you know, God knows, you know, all these other self-proclaimed 
experts out there. You know, entrepreneurs probably headed that way. Um, but you know, I don't. I mean, I guess our next project is to come up with a new term to replace entrepreneur. It is. I mean, it's such a great word, and, and there's so many spin-offs. You know, obviously, entrepreneur for those that are working in an existing, bringing innovation into an existing business. Um, I've actually heard loads more. I can't think of them now, but like loads more play on that same word, a mum, mumpreneur, which I hate. Actually, I really despise <laughs> that term. I get called it often, and I, I really don't like it because. I'm a mum and that is the best role that I play, but that doesn't define my business and, and what I bring value I bring to a business. So I find it kind of demeaning or condescending or just something that irritates me about I'm probably loads of other people don't feel this way and I'm and may even be offending some. I hope that's not the case. But for me I find it, you know, it, it's like I don't need to be in a separate little space or I don't have a special type um, of title because I'm a mum as well like I don't need any I don't have a handicap I don't you know and I just sort of feel like having to have that special title just because I'm a parent irritates because why isn't there dad dadpreneur you know like I just irritates me but um yeah I I don't know I think we need to come up with another word but yet entrepreneur is such a good word kind of don't want to change it but yeah. Anyway, have you got any questions for me? Because I did promise that we would we would share five questions, and I've asked you about a hundred. So <laughs> I, I do. And since we're on the topic of uh, being a mom or a mum, if you're listening in Australia, so uh, a lot of parents I know like they want to become entrepreneurs so they can spend more time with their children, or or work from a home office, but. You know, when they started telling me about this, I tell them, well, you know, usually that means spending more time than you would at a typical, you know, nine to five job uh, than you would being an entrepreneur. So, you know, you're, you actually might not be spending a lot more time with your kids. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know I've had my struggles being a parent and an entrepreneur at the same time, but I'm wondering, you know, if you have any like particular advice on like how you've run Puggle FM and like done this book at the same time and been a mom and been able to, to manage your time between the family and everything else you have going on. It's a nightmare. It's, it's a daily, <laughs> it's a daily struggle of guilt. It's a daily struggle of being overwhelmed. Um, I think that there isn't any secret. I, I really I don't have any of the answers because I'm still trying to work through it myself. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, if you're doing what you love, you're not doing being a work at home, well, you're not a work at home mom, but if you, if your intentions of doing, starting your own business is to spend time with your own money, then you're doing it, uh, spend time with your kids then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You know, if you're choosing to start your own business because you want to work from home and being at mom, then you have no real idea what it takes to do that. Because I can tell you you're hundred percent right. Nine to five is easier because you don't, if you're starting your own business, you have to be so committed to it that it's a 24-7 thing, you know. And um, I think, though, if you have a passion to do something and it is, it's something that you love and you're so committed to, then it's not work. So it's a lot easier to juggle when you don't feel like it's work. And that's uh, kind of where I'm at with writing with, I've got my own ICT like app startup happening. Um, you know, I do marketing consulting work, you know, there's Pagala fam, there's loads of different things that I do and, you know, but none of it feels like work to me. And so 
yeah, I suppose in that way it's much easier for me because I do have to sacrifice a lot, you know. It, it usually isn't time with the kids, albeit sometimes it is. It's it's usually times with my husband at night time when everyone's in bed and I've got to, you know, stay up for four hours doing the edits or, or whatever that is. And so I think it's unrealistic to think that having your own business or, or working from home is going to mean that you're present and with your kids because you're not. And there's a big difference about being in the same house as your kids and being with your kids. And I think, you know, certainly for me, I approach work as in work. So when I plan to work, the kids aren't there, they're at school or, you know, it's only for a short period of time where I'll put a movie on and I'm like, okay, well, I've got to work for one hour and I'm working and you're doing that. But then after that, I'm present and I'm, I'm mum today. And, and I think you, those boundaries have to be set straight up and I think anyone that gets in for reasons as you said they're in for a really cold hard reality check because if you want to be successful in business it means everything that you have to be there and answering those phone calls and returning those emails and not just that you have to want to do it it has to be because you know it's a tough old world out there and if you want to be ahead of the rest you have to be better than the rest and that doesn't come from complacency or apathy that comes from really hard work and and the daily grind if you're not committed to that at that level you won't be successful and then it's kind of a waste of time you're better off working for someone else so yeah I don't know if that adds any that it helps or or adds to the question that you actually asked the the reality is I don't have any secrets I don't have any bits of wisdom because it it said it's a daily it's a daily grind and it's one that I love. As I said, I, you know, a lot of the time writing the book, I would write for a few hours and then I'd go and play with the train set or play hide and seek or, you know. Right. <laughs> well, I, th- I think you answer the question is, you know, you have to have a balance. Yeah. And that's so important. And I know I got completely out of whack uh, for a period of time. And I'm sure when you were, you know, in your startup phase or working towards a really big goal, you know, there, you had to focus more on the business and you did the family. Um, But, you know, as long as there's a means to an end um, and you see that goal and you're able to manage it, I think that's most important, but but it's really hard, you know, because we're so dedicated to both the family and the business. Um, You know, you kind of get anxiety when you're away from either one for for, for too long. So. Absolutely. And it's just that, I think a lot of the time it's it's managing your internal conflicts. Um, you know, for me, certainly I'm sort of will do the nightly, you know, sort of check on, you know, did I do that? Did I did I engage with the, the girls enough? You know, did I spend enough time on homework? Did we chat enough? Did I write, ask the right questions? But also, did I get back to all of those emails? Did I, you know, and it's and it's really tough. So if you're not passionate and you're not absolutely loving it, then I think that it's to put yourself through all of that, it's going to be too hard and it won't work out. But if you love it and, and you couldn't have it any other way, then you find a way to get through it. And I suppose that's what I do is um, I don't know whether it's because I'm young and had kids young and so I've got a lot more ambition perhaps or that drive that you have when you're younger and not burnt out yet. Um, I find that hard to manage is that I am really ambitious and that has to be countered by the fact that I'm a mum and I have to be at home and I have to, if the kids are sick, I have to leave that meeting because, you know, that's, that's, that's my kids. Like I have to do that. Um, 
but also counteracting the fact that I don't want to be seen as unprofessional by not being able to to hold my own or get back to people. And I think in the end, you find your, your balancing point by finding the right people to work with, people that get you and that allow you a little bit of leeway if and when you need it. Um, and once you find that, I think it makes it easier. You have your right little connections and the people that you know and you know, and I, that was the most important thing for me, I think, is to find the right people to have around me um, professionally and also, you know, personally um, because I couldn't do anything else. You know, I you know, <laughs> I took three years off to have my, my girls and, you know, my husband would come home and I was renovating the bathroom just because, like, I'd be painting tiles or you know, be sanding walk like sanding back the doors or something ridiculous like that because I, <laughs> I just had so much, so many ideas that I and and I couldn't keep it in and and um so I actually feel like I'm a better mum by doing what I'm doing because I'm happy and I'm fulfilled and I think that's a lot of the time I think I dads get the pressure but I, I know certainly mums do um by other mums you know shouldn't you be at home. With the kids, sure. why are you being ambitious? Isn't that selfish? You chose to have kids. Shouldn't you be at home with them? You know, and I think for people that don't feel centered about themselves or their decisions, that can be huge and hugely destructive. Whereas for me, I kind of made peace with it early on and say that I know I'm a better mum when I'm happy, um, when I'm fulfilled. And that doesn't mean that. I have to make my life about them. They're a big part of it, but they don't define me. I define me and I have to be happy to be a good mum to them. So I think, yeah, you've got to know it in your core and if it's not right in your core, whatever you're doing, you've got to make the change until it is. Um, yeah. So that, so that's like the caveat is that, you know, depending on your business, um, you know, you can work from anywhere. You know, yeah. You, so, I mean, you can be at home with your kids, but – you know, I know, I know like you're, you're very in tune with, you know, this generation and technology. And I believe you said something along the lines uh, in one of your chapters that, you know, the production of too many useful things can, can render us useless. So I made it, I've, I've, uh, so I think what you're getting at is like, you know, there's a downside tech to technology. And so I'm wondering, you know, what your thoughts are are on what future generations and if they're going to be like too reliant on technology to solve problems and if that's going to affect you know future entrepreneurs yeah it's a, it's a big challenge i i am really scared to be honest with you um by the increase of technology to take over just the basics in humans uh, in function um, I, I sort of I, I do a lot of things that are a little bit crazy, but I sort of put as a, just a general conversation to my friends. I'll be like, if if the banks close the doors tomorrow and said, right, well, all that money that you thought you had, it doesn't exist anymore, so you don't have money in the bank, and so the all that you were left with was like the property you owned, and you know, and then let's just say in this sort of catastrophe situation, there was no more fuel. So your car only had the fuel that you had in your car right now and you only had the skills that you have right now to survive and to allow for your family to survive. How positioned are you to 
not only survive but to thrive like so for example i will then put that into my scenario so we have solar panels so in theory we'd still have power i don't have a solid power car so that would probably be a good thing that i should think about seriously um having seeds right so we could theoretically grow our own food if we had seeds seeds are a very non-thought of thing i guess now but and and when i propose this to people they think you're crazy why are you even saying this does it you know what is the point of even thinking about that but i think in that mentality is the risk we have it's not necessarily in the technology it's in the mental awareness of our reliance on it and the and the reality or the comprehension of it actually might just all go one day and it wouldn't even take a lot for that to happen. So, you know, how conscious are we when we continually buy things that replace humans? At Are we just conscious enough to know where we're actually losing basic skills? So, like, would I know when to plant pumpkins? I'd have no bloody idea. I'd have no <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I grow herbs, but, you know knowing like crop cycles and that if you plant onions one time and then replant something else, it gets rid of that bug because of whatever. I feel that kind of knowledge is, is disappearing on us. And if we're relying on Google for everything and Google dies or the internet for whatever, it doesn't exist because power doesn't exist. Um, then we'll be pretty stuck. And I think Gen Y and probably a lot of other people can easily get caught up in it doesn't matter I don't need to know because the internet will tell me and I think that's where it starts getting scary because we we kind of feel like we're continually handing over um, <laughs> knowledge or the need to have knowledge or retain knowledge uh, to technology and whether that's you know the fact that you know self-driven cars are going to come within the next few years we know it's 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 happening anyway Google are doing it but it'll come bigger and bigger. Um, yeah, I was watching, I watched the Stephen Hawking, um, he's done a series on, you know, future technologies and quite honestly, most of the time I stand there and just, I'm absolutely petrified because, you know, that they've basically developed robots that will go into war zones and can shoot. They can, they now have automated snipers. So there's no human requirement to shoot like a thousand yards and it's precision is just insane. Wow. That is scary to me. That is scary that they've already developed the technology that they could have literally thousands of these robots that can identify humans, kill automatically without any human saying press the kill button. They're doing that anyway, and that is scary. I mean, that's obviously on the war side of things, but, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things, you know, artificial intelligence and... Um, you know, there's a lot of things that kind of freak me out a little bit, and I think it's we're continually embracing technology that is, I don't know if it's dehumanizing us, but I kind of feel like where are we going to draw the end when we are so reliant on technology and on power that we actually can't function if it wasn't there, and I think that is our biggest risk, not the actual technology itself. Um, so that was a very long-winded answer to your question. But, I mean, what are your thoughts on it? It's a great question, by the way. You know, I I have not thought that far into the future, I'll be honest. So 
Uh, a lot of that was news to me. But I do, one of my influencers is uh, Timothy Ferris, who's a, th a three mm -hmm. times bestselling author here in the US. And he had to cut a portion, a large portion of his last book about like D-Day preparation and like what's going to, like what to do, like the apocalypse, apocalypse comes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, well, if he's thinking about it, maybe I should think about it. Mm -hmm. So I started like researching like bunkers to install in my backyard and like buying hatchets and MREs mm -hmm. and lanterns. And, you know, I got so overwhelmed and also scared and uh, slash I've only been camping once in my life. So I had no idea about any of this stuff, like what to do. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a little scary thinking about, you know, all that, how, you know, we are so reliant on technology and, you know, we, we live in this very comfortable bubble, you know, most of us where it's just iPads and email and switches and electricity all day long. Mm. But, you know, if all that were to go away, you know, I know I'd be totally screwed. Mm. Um, <laughs> sounds like you might have your stuff together, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know how to plant anything. Uh, so uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I think it's very exciting, you know, on the good side of things, you know, what's happening with technology, the advances we're making in uh, the medical uh, industry, um, which is going to be insane to see, you know, in our generation, you know, are we going to live forever? It's kind of a possibility. Um, not sure if we want to anyway, but maybe, um, you know, obviously autonomous cars, you know, I think the head of, I want to say GM, uh, General Motors, I'm not exactly yeah. sure. But, you know, they said by 2026, yeah. I think I think they claim that just about everyone's going to be in a self-driving car. Yeah. You know, that's just right around the corner. You know, well, that's... That's the reality for our children that they won't, may not need to learn how to drive a car. That's the reality right now. Sure. And, uh, you know, people that I know that are 15 years old don't even care about getting their driver's license yeah. or learning nothing. They don't even want to. Yeah. Um, so... I couldn't I'm personally imagine not driving a car, but, um, you know, it sounds like that will be the norm, you know, within the next decade. Just... And which freaks me out because while I understand that, you know, if everyone's got that technology, it is actually going to be the statistics state that it's going to be safer because a lot of the time, the bulk majority of the time of car accidents, in fact, 99% of it, is human error and so if you take the human error out of it but then i sort of feel it's all very big brotherish because you know well it is i mean you the what we know about what the government is able to do is very very small and uh you know yes wikileaks and snowden and whatever has opened our eyes but i also feel like only a portion of our eyes are even able to be open and um, you know, the stuff that real stuff that they don't want us to know, people like Snowden would have never got to know anyway. And, um, you know, I know for a fact that Apple has the technology and the ability at any point in time to start recording video or voice from your own iPhone without you knowing it and storing it somewhere else. So you might be, as, little, as we mentioned in the book with um, a man of Gen Y that go on the toilet and use their iPhone. But, I mean, you could be in that situation and you're being filmed and you have no idea, um, absolutely no idea. And the way that I know that they do that is I've been helping a, um, an app developer has developed um, an app to help for kids. It's called Curly and it's to sort of stop uh, adult content, so like going on YouTube and accidentally typing in legs instead of Lego 
And so it's, it blocks all of that. It also blocks in-app purchases and it can curb and, and like, um, so you can set boundaries for social media apps. So it just cuts the internet from it. And so I was asking them, you know, how does this work? How can the internet just be cut? And, and essentially what it is is uh, once you have the app uh, installed on their server, they're able to um, access the setting for your computers or your iOS devices, which obviously you need for, you know, to be able to curb social media and to block content like that, which is kind of the whole point. But at the same time, they, the technology, and I became aware that the technology means that on another server, um, that some, potentially you're not aware of. I mean, obviously people with Kirby are aware of it, but for, for those that aren't, their technology exists that servers elsewhere through an app can access your data um, without you being aware of it. And that's one app how many apps are embedded in your iPhone without that decision and, and certainly your camera, video and voice recording are those. And so I know categorically that they have the ability to do that. Whether or not they are, I don't know. But, you know, it's the conscious awareness that I think we struggle with and sometimes it is overwhelming. Sometimes the doomsday thinking is, oh, my God, that's too scary. And why I think a lot of people don't think about it much longer than that because it is too scary. It's like death, right? No one likes thinking about it for too long because it freaks them out. And um, and that's okay. But certainly with awareness of like how much of our privacy, how much of our choices in our life are we handing over willingly to other people and in the name of being efficient and easy. And, and that it's very cynical of me, but that freaks me out. Do I? Does that mean that I don't have an iPhone? No, it doesn't. Does it mean that I that I you know read every terms and conditions that I sign online? No, it doesn't. I still don't do it. I'm still complacent as anyone else. But I guess I make sure that I keep aware, or try to keep aware about the decisions I do, and you know, because the idea of privacy is, doesn't exist really for our kids. There's none, because if wow. their parents haven't already, you know put their entire life from birth on Facebook already, then they're one of the very few. Um, certainly my kids, are, you know, not that I put it everywhere and I'm in a private, you know, Facebook and all of that, but still it's, I've done it to some degree, you know, and it's just, it's not going to exist. There is no privacy. We can be GPS tracked anywhere, anytime. You, you know that we can have our phone calls recorded at any point without us knowing it. And, you know, there's so many cameras that's knowing everything we're doing. We've got, we go on the internet and cookies or whatever, track everything we even type in there. And it's all relayed back. And yet we own none of our own information. I mean, you probably heard Facebook, once you pass, Facebook owns your stuff. And uh, same as iTunes. Like, who is it that was suing iTunes? Um, Bruce Willis. He's like yeah. loads of things that he wants to hand over to his kids and that's no, no, sorry, that's actually ours. We're lending it to you uh, for the time that you're alive. And it's it's those sort of things that I don't think that the courts or legislation has caught up to quite yet because it's happened so quick. But I also don't think that enough people are screaming out and and sort of fighting against it either. There's this, this, this complicity in it. Um and that scares me probably the most is the 
the the un the the yeah just accepting it for what it is because it's simple and I don't ask you any questions about it and I think you know I do it as well but it 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 irritates me that I do and it, and I'm very conscious of it. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think our privacy laws are certainly stuck in 1986, yeah. and we just put too much trust into Google and Apple and Facebook and. Uh, you know, anyone else, you know, I, you know, I, I follow kind of what the Electronic Frontier Foundation is doing, uh, who is, you know, pretty much at the forefront of like defending whatever rights we do have in the digital space. Um, but I mean, it, it's, I mean, like you said, it's scary. You know, we know that there's mass surveillance from the NSA and, and God knows who else, but, you know, still we continue to do the same things that we did a week prior to knowing that. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least I didn't change anything that I did other than like turning off my webcam and, you know, changing a password or two. But what is that going to do? Yeah. You know, not much. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how uh, we adapt to it, you know, how laws are changed if they are globally, um, you know, and who actually ends up taking a stand and making a difference. You know, we'll, you know, that, that I think there will be a turning point pretty soon here um you know the outcry has started but like you said it's just not loud enough you know we just need some more action um so i mean it's it's saddening to see that's where we're at but you know hopefully we can we can make that change yeah i kind of feel like if anyone's gonna do it it it, it's gonna be our generation um because I'm kind of, and I might, and, and no one will know for at least another 20 years, but I sort of feel like the gen under us, so I, gen or gen Z, the Facebook generation, are going to be a bit messed up. <laughs> I sort of feel like gen Y are going to be, you know, have the skills and the opportunities with, with just that little bit less of emotional or mental baggage for the reason is we didn't have Facebook in high school. And I mean, while I don't think that, you know, certainly that the whole idea of narcissism and Gen Y we explore. Um, I don't actually agree with the sentiments that Gen Y are epidemically, you know, uh, suffer grapple with the narcissism. But you know, yes, we we are all affected by if we post something up on Facebook and no one likes it. You know, this, for me, it's like that fleeting half a second where I'm like, ah, oh, well, doesn't make me look a bit like an idiot. <laughs> Um, but then because I'm more or less very centered and happy and contented in my life and I've, you know, Facebook isn't my life and I've got <clears throat> my friends that I physically go and see because there's statistics on how little people actually go and see their friends as to associating that I, I tweeted them there, therefore me and them are good for the next month. It's kind of scary where that's going, but because I don't live my life on Facebook or, or really necessarily care, um, I'm not tainted by it, but there is more and more evidence that's building for, for the younger generations that they, once they put themselves out there and no one likes it, let's say, they start constructing their comments to be liked. And that is a slippery slope. Once you start losing yourself and your own identity and start constructing your brand, then I start thinking that's kind of scary and I really am struggling to see how that's going to build a generation of normal people um, because I just think, you know, they we were brought up on what TV shows? I mean, what TV shows did you watch? I watched Tin the Tool Man. I watched Full House. Um, I mean, what, what shows did you yeah. grow up loving? 
Oh, same same ones, yeah. Uh, same. Home Improvement, which is yeah, Tim Allen. Yeah. Uh, Step by Step. Yeah. Uh, Friends. Yeah. You know all your typical like Nickelodeon shows we had here, and um, you know just all the classics that you know probably helped to find us to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah. Um, they they sort of pushed the they started showing. I mean, uh, Full House was great because it showed like a different family. Um, albeit they didn't really go there in terms of stereotypes, but we, we, it was still quite, I feel quite wholesome. Um, you know, my band growing up <laughs> was Spice Girls and yes, they were probably the, the start of, oh, if it's objectifying, it's, it's sexualizing that. But I watched, um, a concert that I used to watch all the time as a kid, which is something they did in Instable. And, you know, it wasn't really that risque, quite frankly. I mean, their skirts were mid-length. There wasn't nothing too crazy. And their sentiments were, it's about my friends first, then the boyfriends, girl power, you know, girls can do anything. And, you know, you really scratch the surface and that that's kind of a really great message. Um, so for Gen Z or iGen... What if, what TV shows have they got? Well, they've got the Kardashians and they've got the Hills and they've got all these shows, the Geordie Shore, Jersey Shore, whatever the hell the shores are. I mean, I don't watch any of these shows. It's just to me, it's, it will kill brain cells. But I, most <laughs> of my friends do and they love it. And they're okay to love that. That's fine because I feel that they've been brought up knowing what's right and what's wrong, what's normal behaviour. And so they watch it out of a really weird interest to laugh at people, right? But... What about for the generation that have been growing up on these shows without growing up with shows that actually show you how normal families are and how they should behave? And, you know, it's it's proving that a lot of the sexual education from iGen and Gen Z is, is pornography and that's not normal behaviour. Um, and, you know, and I touch on that again in the book and these things really concern me. So if... If, we, if I had to give an honest opinion of which generation is going to be the one that is going to change this world for the better, I sort of feel it has to be us because Gen X probably will be involved but they're going to be getting older and they might not have, and again, this is very, you know, blanket because none of it's, you know, really there's no theory or, you know, sort of definite truth. It's all very stereotypical but, you know, I sort of feel like Gen Y are going to have the passion and the, and the optimism and the drive and the determination. And I sort of feel like the generation under us are going to be sort of mentally a bit wrecked and we're going to also have to try and help them out too um, because it's kind of scary. It scares me that there is such little example in media, mainstream media, of what's normal anymore. I mean, I can't even think of a show that is on TV. I'd love for you to say that I'm wrong and think of one, but like, I, I could not tell you. I can't. I mean, mm. Malcolm in the middle or that other one that they did after that. Um, that's about dysfunctional families. Um, so it's not about a normal family. I mean, I think most families are dysfunctional, but you know, in terms of, yeah, I, I sort of feel like we've kind of wrecked, that ideal of what we should at least try to have. And it's never going to be as rosy as the Cosby show or um, what was that other show? God, I loved it with Steve Urkel. What's that called? 
Family Matters. Yeah, I love that show. Yeah, that um, was good. You know, but I mean, in the end, it was all about, and and even uh, Will Smith in uh, Friendship, F Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I mean, there was evidence mm-hmm. of it non-conforming and it not always working. But at the end, of the core messages were love and family stick together, and you know, and we get through everything together. And 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 I just I don't see that anymore on TV, or at least it's not as popular as instead it's replaced by cheap TV that's cheap to produce, like reality show. And this sort of sick obsession that we that that media seem to have in in needing to dramatize everything, over dramatize it, and cheapen it, and pit you know woman against woman or or create fights where fights didn't normally exist because they think that that's what everyone else wants, and people keep watching it. But um, you know, yeah, that scares me a lot. I've gone off in a tangent. I realize that, but yeah. <laughs> what's well, easy to do? Yeah. Um... Yeah. I, I don't watch a lot of TV. Uh, I wish I could. I mean, there's a lot of shows I'm like, that looks interesting, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't really know what's out there right now, but I know reality TV is obviously popular. Uh, I do get around to watching House of Cards. Uh, definitely love I... that one. But I think that drives your point. Uh, it's not a well-balanced show by any means. Um, but anyway... Uh, so yeah, we got a little bit off topic. So let me pull it back for a second. Just ask you another question if we still have time. Are we good yeah. on time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we've been working on this book for like six, seven months. Uh, by the time it comes out, it'll be almost a year. So what, what, what's your next adventure? I know that's scary, huh? What's your next adventure after we're done promoting? When we, when I first met or spoke, never met with Wiley. When I first had the conversations with Wiley about the book, the intention was that it would be a series. So understanding why was I first venture into that idea of the um I suppose a business model that was collaborative in content but also in promotions and I've got a fair few ideas that I would like to do some more writing I guess about generation y and you know maybe other generations um but I guess writing writing probably for the next few years is definitely going to be something that I'll be doing a lot of um, that and, you know, I've been working on um, a TV show about um, entrepreneurs and, and startups, um, sort of like a reality show, but not more of a doco. Um, so, you know, if that gets off the ground, then that will be sort of taking up my time. But at the moment, it's sort of shelved while the book is, uh, you know, on the road. But it's saying that I have new ideas every day, like genuine, I, I want to start a new company every day almost. So um, God only knows what I'll be doing even in the next month. But um, so that's pretty much what I'm going to do. What about you, Chris? What, what have you got planned in the next 12 years besides launching your product? I did just realize I said 12 years, not 12 months. I meant 12 months. <laughs> Uh, well, that well, that's pretty much the main focus right now is getting Zoom stand up and produced this year. Um, you know, after that, you know, God, I don't know. Um, you know, we'll have to see how Zoom stand does. Um, if it does well, then you know, I'll be full fledged into that. Um, you know, that's what I'm really interested in and really want to see happen. But you know, if not, you know, I, uh, you know, four about four or five years ago, I said I wanted to to be an author. Uh, which is weird because, you know, I would actively avoid writing before that. But, you know, now I can't get enough of it. And uh, the book I really want to write is on uh, family law and how to help uh, other Gen Y 
uh, non-custodial parents. So we know parents that don't have primary custody of their child, like how to navigate through the family law system and how to co-parent responsibly and how to raise a, a child. Um, <clears throat> I've gone through through all that for the past six years. And when I started, there was absolutely no resources that were reliable. I was put down the wrong path several, several times and it cost me dearly and made a ton of mistakes. And, you know, I really want to be able to help people who, who go through that same situation, you know, as much as I can to, to help them help them out so they don't make the same mistakes I did. Um, so that's something I've turned my, my some of my focus on with uh, a project I just started called the Cassie Project. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, an ex- it's an extension of a website I have right now called Oops, I Knocked Up My Girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm actually retiring retiring that website and then it's going to evolve into this, which is going to be kind of more of a advocacy group uh, here in the U.S., but first and foremost, just an educational resource for you know other people like myself. So um, that's a, r- a real big time commitment um, that I've been, been doing as much as I can on recently. Um, but between that and Zoom stand, you know, that's, you know, those are, that's where my passions are. That's probably what's not going to make me a millionaire, but it's what'll keep me happy. And, and, you know, that's the most important. I mean, that's a fascinating proposal. I, I, um, you know, obviously I, I'm, I'm with my husband and, you know, yeah, we had kids young, but, you know, we, we've stayed together. We were lucky. We, um, I've been with him since I was 17. So we just sort of found the right person. Um, that's not to say we'll be together forever, but I certainly hope so. But the reality that you're discussing is is a very common one. And for and I feel, and I, I totally hear what you're saying, it's underrepresented in terms of support, acknowledgement, awareness. It's almost like, and you'd obviously know it better than I would, but from the outside perspective, it's, it seems like it's swept under the mat a little. Um, and yet it's it's vitally important because it is it's really common it's not an uncommon thing i mean we yeah i i want to read that book and i love the the website name it's hilarious um it's true right it happens you know most of us knew of it happening at high school at least once i certainly did Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I was out of high school, but, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, it happens and then you have no idea what to do. Uh, And, you know, there's no one out there that writes books for these types of people, people like me. So you're left listening to friends or parents who just give you their opinion and not necessarily what you need to hear. And uh, it can be very, very damaging. Um, So, you know, hopefully we can work on that. Yeah. Uh, Because typically you know, our generation, and this honestly starts with, you know, just poor sex ed, Yeah. you know, just about anywhere in the world, a uh, few countries in Europe are probably not included in this, but our sex ed is just embarrassingly bad. Yeah. You know, it's, it's wrong information. It's bad information. They don't want to hear, they, can, they can't hear what they need to hear due to uh, personal beliefs, religious reasons, yeah. uh, school rules, you know, whatever. Um, so it needs, it needs to start and change with that. But, you know, these, these, everyone has a one night stand sometime in their life and not, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people do, you know, sex before marriage happens with majority of the whole global population. So there needs to be some thought behind, you know, what happens if this person has my child, you know, what am I supposed to do? What does that relationship look like? And of course, no one ever thinks that far. And yeah. It's always all the actions thereafter. It's always an afterthought. 
which is never what you want to have when a, a child is involved. Um, mm. So it, it, it really, the people that have done it right, um, you know, we can learn from them. We can show them, you know, what it takes to communicate because that's the number one issue with any couple is just communication mm -hmm. or ex-couple rather because these people that you're having a child with, typically they're not someone you want in your life anymore. Yeah. So com communication is just non-existent. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that really understanding like how to communicate with people properly and understanding their needs also with what you yours, you know, make it a win-win and not just a game of, uh, instead of just making it a game, you know, it, it, it would be better for everybody and there'd be a lot less conflict and in, in the courts and with your child and throughout your entire life. Absolutely. And I think it, a lot of the time is people just aren't aware of what their rights are and what the process is and, you know, situation. And that's what our generation faces, right? Because we, we are Gen Y, the generation of parents that did divorce. Um, more, right. You know, the, the baby boomers are the first ones that really did that. The idea of not being with that same person if you have children is, is, is gone now. Like it's, it doesn't, it's not seen as the norm. It's actually the norm is starting to turn like it's the other way around. And yet I don't feel in popular culture or certainly um, in the media, it's reflective of, enough of that reality. Yeah, follow it because it is, it's a fascinating topic and it's very much underexplored or under-discussed. Under so, um, but I'm sure that we will speak uh, via these podcasts again at some point, um, certainly as the launch gets closer. Um, and I think I'll wrap it up there. Uh, Chris Piper, co-author of Understanding Why, thanks so much for taking out the time, which was such a quite a long time. Um, to have a chat with me today. Uh, I hope everyone listening um, found today's chat as interesting as I certainly did. Um, and we no doubt will be speaking to Chris again very soon alongside the rest of the co-authors for Understanding Why. Sounds good. Thanks so All much, right. Charlie. I really appreciate it. Yeah.